This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Nightline. Tonight, fighting for their families. My voice needs to be heard, and I want to keep fighting for um, my embryo. Patients and doctors rallying on the steps of the Alabama State Capitol demanding action. I want to let the legislators know that the world is watching. As lawmakers race to respond to a controversial court ruling that effectively put a pause on IVF treatments. Let us have our babies. Couples locked in limbo and heartache as they race against time. How much does every day matter right now? It's, it's, yeah, it's really important. Will they make it? Plus, Shogun. Is it the new Game of Thrones? The character of Tulananga is in my body, in my DNA already. The sweeping epic telling the story in an all new way. I hope that it really opens doors for authentic Japanese storytelling. With jaw-dropping visuals and a sky-high budget. With so much anticipation behind it, can Shogun live up to the buzz? And remembering legendary comic and beloved Curb Your Enthusiasm star, Richard Lewis. Nightline. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Phil Lipoff. Tonight, hopeful parents-to-be in Alabama forced to confront their lawmakers demanding access to IVF services effectively paused after a controversial court ruling declaring embryos are children. That decision unleashing a political firestorm. Here's ABC's Elizabeth Schulze. They came from all across Alabama. I want to keep fighting for um, my embryo and um, hopefully get a solution to this soon ready to fight for their right to grow their families. I want to let the legislators know that the world is watching. Our country is watching. My husband and I have been trying to expand our family for the last three years. Many of these people left in agonizing limbo, blindsided after the Alabama Supreme Court shocked the country, ruling that frozen embryos created during IVF are considered children. We call on the state of Alabama to provide immediate, complete, and permanent access to IVF care for the women and families of Alabama. It's one thing to have this pro-life, pro-choice discussion. It's another uh, to, to deal with it with IVF because all we want to do is create life. Now the threats of potential wrongful death lawsuits keeping three main fertility clinics in the state on pause. We wanted protection for patients and for clinics. We wanted full access and permanent access to IVF care in Alabama. The decision doesn't make IVF illegal in any way, but it makes it very legally risky to provide IVF services because there's a possibility of the destruction of embryos anytime you participate in IVF. This rally outside the state capitol intended to push Alabama lawmakers to find a solution. With hundreds of thousands of Americans seeking IVF every year, what happens here could create a ripple effect for families all across the country. Families like Brittany Normans. 
How much does every day matter right now? It's, it's, yeah, it's really important. Brittany is in the middle of her first round of IVF, scheduled for an embryo transfer in about two weeks. How much do you feel like the rest of the country is looking at Alabama in this moment right now? I think it's a lot. I don't think I really realized how much um, this was affecting other states starting to look at what do we want to do with IVF and if they've banned it in Alabama, can we ban it in our state or how do we not ban it? Let's see what we got. This is the one we have to do at lunchtime. The process to get to this point has been intense and expensive for Brittany and her husband Ralph. So, so we have to mix these up. Yeah, they want you to use the big needle to get the stuff and then the, yeah. use the small ones that Oh, yeah, what's these there? shots. They're plowing ahead, starting the final rounds of medication ahead of her scheduled procedure. You're tired, super bloated, headaches from hormones, stre more stressed, and then you add on a Supreme Court ruling that you know you really have no, no control over. It's even more, I think, confusing now. Of, you just don't know, are you doing all this, are you taking this medicine and doing all this work for nothing? The couple has struggled to have children for years. They managed to have their daughter thanks to fertility treatments back in 2019. But after that, heartbreak after heartbreak. I mean, we know you can get pregnant, but you you have three miscarriages. Even if you get pregnant, there's nothing exciting for us because we're nervous for, you know, nine months. Yeah, it's been two years of, now we try this, now we'll do this, now we have to wait on this. It's a lot of waiting. It gets pretty defeating. You know. Now they're hoping IVF can help them have the second child they're so desperate to add to their family. I just turned 35, so 35 is a big trigger for, it's already probably a higher risk and then with age, so it's, you know, time is of the essence, I think, to, we would like to get this done soon. We're sort of the light at the end of the tunnel of this process, and um, then it kind of, you know, got dark again. It's definitely a race against time. Yeah. I feel like the embryos are, these are our hopeful babies, and hopefully they can turn into babies, but right now it's just cells. This isn't the first time politics and court decisions have impacted their fertility journey. Back in the summer of 2022, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, Brittany had a miscarriage and needed surgery to clear her uterus, but they weren't sure they could do that in Alabama, which had passed an abortion ban. So we were worried, well, are we going to have to go somewhere else to have the DNC? And, you know, fortunately, you know, they kept doing them. But that was, you know, twice now we've had pretty big legal um, events happen that make us sort of hang in the balance. Yeah, it's like you hear about things and like, man, that's, that's terrible. But then you're directly affected by it. It's a whole new ballgame. Now the uncertainty is turning into anger. Hopefully the legislature or somebody can repair this ruling, but you know, I, this is the worst case. You know, this is like the, the fire department showing up to put your house out, but they use a flamethrower instead of a fire hose is what they've done. Since the Alabama Supreme Court ruling, there's been growing backlash. I anticipate having a bill on my desk very shortly. Lawmakers have introduced multiple bills that would give civil and criminal immunity to doctors who provide IVF. Those bills being debated today as women went office to office in the state house wearing orange shirts for infertility awareness. Brittany and Ralph listening as lawmakers debate their future. Do you feel like lawmakers understand how urgent it is for you for them to find a solution here? 
I think if they didn't before today, I think they do now. I think that they they realize this impacts a lot of people. It's hard to know what the Alabama Supreme Court would make of a new law if, in fact, it gets passed that would try to protect IVF from any kind of legal challenge. Um, I think there's some possibility that the state Supreme Court would strike that law down as inconsistent with a constitutional principle that says, you know, life begins at conception. Experts worry the Alabama ruling has opened the door for other states to possibly follow suit and pass so-called personhood laws that could endanger IVF. Opponents of IVF might well essentially take a playbook from this litigation and bring similar challenges in other states, seeking rulings that even if they don't render IVF unlawful, make it functionally impossible to provide because of the legal risk involved. It blows my mind that that women who vote regularly, who want a family so badly, who are willing to spend fifty to a hundred thousand dollars and take a shot every day, that that's the demographic that they want to rile up ahead of November elections. Thirty-seven-year-old Lockrain Chase is midway through an IVF cycle. Her clinic just postponed her embryo transfer, scheduled for March 18th. While I was driving down to the state house, I had to turn around to take a shot for my IVF procedure. This is front and center every day for you, many hours of the day. Absolutely. But after meeting with lawmakers at the state house today, she's optimistic. I'm very hopeful that good things will come out of Montgomery in the state of Alabama today. Brittany and Ralph hope so too. The clock is ticking. You know, you've picked the wrong population. We're pumped full of hormones, and so we want to fight this and, and get to be able to have our children. Our thanks to Elizabeth. When we return, Shogun, the new series, an epic budget and even bigger buzz being touted as the next Game of Thrones. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. Shogun has premiered its first two episodes to a tsunami of enthusiasm from viewers and even critics who have called the show sumptuous and mesmerizing. Here's ABC's Selena Wang. Hollywood's most beloved samurai. Hiroyuki Sanada can wield many roles. 
from The Last Samurai and John Wick Chapter 4 to Westworld. But his weapon of choice today, not a blade. This magic fan for everything. This is a memento of my late mother. So sometimes, you know, pointing and then order, let's go, stop. Or sometimes, you know, now, or stop. In his latest role, he commands his troops with the wave of a fan. In FX's new and most expensive series to date, Shogun. The character of Tsuranaga is in my body, in my DNA already. The series already receiving critical acclaim and comparisons to the HBO hit Game of Thrones for its epic scale. From the sets to the costumes, no expense spared, no detail missed. Shogun brings a modern lens to a story set in feudal Japan. It's a perfect story introduce our culture to the world. We really spent a lot of time trying to get at um, how do we make better versions of the same mistakes that you know Hollywood has traditionally done when trying to tell stories uh, about other cultures, especially you know Japanese culture. The mostly Japanese cast is also led by rising star Anna Sawai. As Lady Mariko, she navigates the harsh reality Japanese women faced during the 1600s. How did you get inspiration to play that character? I did my research on Hosokawa Garasha-san, who is the inspiration for Mariko. Once you know that's real, it's not really hard to channel because you're not making it up. It's not a fantasy. It's, it's part of your roots. And how do you think that story is going to resonate with Japanese women today? I hope that it's going to be huge because as a Japanese woman, I never really saw in Western media females that I could resonate with. They felt a little bit one-dimensional. So why is character striking a chord with many on set? I didn't expect for it to be as personal as it was. I didn't expect to talk about my grandmother on set. She would take that and embody it and allow that to inform her, her performance. And what a gift. The splashy series getting a refresh after the popular 1980s NBC miniseries based on a 1975 novel. If you do not agree to behave, another of your men will be brought up. What does he mean, behave? The original miniseries was very much a product of its time. There weren't even subtitles for the Japanese language spoken. Whereas watching this version, I mean, you really get to see the world from every single character. When we talk about the possibility of centering this story around, say, the point of view of, of uh, John Blackthorne, my eyes kind of glaze over uh, as an audience member. That is a story that we've seen before, this story of a foreigner coming to a new land and discovering its customs. And uh, we really wanted to tell a version of that that would be really fundamentally different. Fundamentally different and aiming for authenticity. Storytelling through subtitles, um, you know, too often I feel like it's an afterthought. It's something, you know, filmmakers, we work so hard to build sets and costumes and actors build their performances and, and we put it all on screen and when we don't speak the language of the characters, then we have subtitles as a medium and that is on screen just as much as every set. We all came to this project with ideas and then quickly understood that actually getting out of the way is is the better approach and letting people who have specific insights um, and nuanced understanding of this culture let them 
have the final say. Even enlisting armies of Japanese specialists to train the actors on movement and speech. You're not speaking in modern Japanese. It's a feudal Japanese way of speak. Yeah. yeah. Even for Japanese actors, it's so hard. Like a Shakespeare English for you guys. I think when it's not authentic, it doesn't feel right. Um, as an audience, it really takes you out of that world. Have you ever seen anything like this? That amount of detail paid attention? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. It's never happened to me. And Shogun's leading man... It's a long, big journey for me. ...also producing every detail. The title of a producer affected a lot. I realized that how important the title is. His wisdom on set now mirroring his role on screen. One yeah. of my favorite games every day is the Where's Hero game, of <laughs> where before action is yelled, you just see him in the background adjusting his sword, making sure that this is right, and talking to someone about this, and then he would just run out of the frame and sit next to us, sometimes in costume. We had to have a different wow. kind of director's chair brought out so that he could sit in these chairs in his full armor. Justin earlier was saying, you are the real-life Toranaga. Like, you are Toranaga. <laughs> Oh, I felt that kind of thing during the shooting. My position in the uh, project uh, as a producer almost, you know, overlapped for Tranaga's position in the drama. You're leading the troops in real life and in the, and in the show. <laughs> yeah, and just enjoying acting. This series is also packed with fighting. You guys had to go through a sort of samurai boot camp training, right? Yeah. How challenging was that? It was challenging for me, not for him. <laughs> but honestly, I would, if we were to do it, redo it, like I would do it the same way because we learned so much from the best. Did you lead this boot camp? Kind of, yeah. He would just show up and he would start teaching everyone and everyone's just like, oh my God, like, is this actually happening? I really enjoy the shooting every single day. I didn't want to leave the set every day. Yeah, so. For me, just no exhausted, just some energy coming into my body from somewhere. So, just had fun. For Sanada and Sawai, they hope Shogun will inspire more authentic stories about other cultures. People are so interested in Japanese culture, but sometimes what you're interested in isn't completely Japanese. It's a westernized Japanese view, and so, I hope that it really opens doors for authentic Japanese storytelling. Well, I hope this one make a bridge east and west. Uh, all the experience in my life uh, helped me to make this show. Maybe this is my life. <laughs> Our thanks to Selena. Shogun is now streaming on Hulu. And when we come back, remembering the late, great Richard Lewis. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? 
In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. Finally tonight, mourning the loss of actor and comic Richard Lewis. Would you welcome Richard Lewis? For decades, a constant on late night TV, on stage alongside Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. New Year's Eve, I spent with the family back in Jersey. We sat around midnight, we watched our hopes drop, you know, at midnight. Years later, a regular on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Who is that? It's a self-portrait. It's like you from 50 years ago. Oh, this is me now. Larry David saying his longtime friend had that rare combination of being the funniest person and also the sweetest. Richard Lewis was 76. And that's Nightline. You can watch all of our full episodes on Hulu. We'll see you right back here the same time tomorrow. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, America. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though... It's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.